Welcome back, folks. This is episode number 11 of Patio Cheers with your host, Zach Morrissey. I'm joined today by one of my uh, favorite teammates uh, over the years. I don't know that there is anything that truly stood out as just astounding by this about this kid or if it was just that just grows on you and by the end of it you've you've had a lot of great conversations and just appreciate it for that and uh kind of love him in an eeyore way um but welcome to the bo- podcast ben pinegar or ben pinegar known as pinegar for years even though it has no true uh um there's no pronunciation in his name of any form of pinegar other than us calling him pinegar What's up, dude? Not much. I'm happy to be on finally. I'm a long time, well, 10 episode fan so far, so <laughs> hey, I'm no excited worries. to be on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're welcome. Uh, we're, we're ready to have you because it's going to be, uh, I think this is going to be an interesting podcast because Pioneer is not a huge sports guy outside of playing it for the time he did when we were teammates. Um He's more of an intellectual guy. He's into his, his sciences and uh, reading and whatnot. He's he well-read um, individual. And so it's going to make an interesting podcast because I guess I just don't know where it's all going to go. You know, it's not as predictable as some of the, the former ones, but uh, that should make for a good one. What are you drinking there, pal? I, I see the can and I'm interested to hear what this is. It is a St. Louis classic. It's a Budweiser Select. Oh, no shit. I thought it was like a Guinness or something. That's a pretty cool oh. can. I'll have to get a picture of that. Well, thank you. Interesting. Interesting. We FaceTime during these podcasts for the for the listeners that didn't understand that. but um, So I can see him and we keep it conversational and whatnot. But So Pinegar and I know each other. Uh, we actually got to Maryville at the exact same time. He was coming in as a freshman. I was a junior. Uh, part of the, the JUCO oh, transition down to... Maryville, I think I've described it like five times, basically every time that I have anybody on the podcast from Maryville. But we come in at the same time. Uh, he was, I think, a pretty good recruit from what I hear. He was a you know, top guy, whatever, out of Indiana. Um, had some good hype from Julian. I don't know if Julian had ever watched him pitch a day in his life, but he was hyping this kid up. And I'm like, oh, cool. All right. It's good to know we're going to have some freshmen that aren't fucking pathetic. Uh, so that was cool. Um, but then we get to know each other freshman year for him, my junior year, we're good friends. And then my senior year, sophomore year for him, a lot better, you know, I guess just a full year under our belt of knowing each other. And, um, uh, we were both pitchers. So we spent a lot of time in the bullpen <laughs> bullshitting, complaining how our arms hurt, had an absolutely horrendous pitching coach. Um, basically, basically arm care that, I mean, any 16 year old probably could have drawn up. And then he was overseen by uh, who we will quickly get into, (laughs) Seth Von Baron. He had the, I think Julian noted it in a former or a previous podcast, but um, got his arm program off of YouTube. Um, So we were just, you know, in the best of hands, obviously. Uh, (laughs) But Pinegar, like I mentioned, he's from uh, Indiana. Um, Came in just a suburb outside of uh, Indianapolis where, you know, my favorite football team, the <laughs> Indianapolis Colts are from. Yeah, go and, Colts, baby. Uh, what, what was suburbia like out there? I mean, what do you remember from Indiana or like what stands out? What do you like about it? Um, 
Um, well, you know, it's a classic suburbia. Um, I'm from a town called Zinesville, Indiana. It's about 20, 25 minutes northwest of Indianapolis. So we're right in the sprawl of it all. Um, what really stood out to me was, you know, um, I've come to appreciate my little, well, I guess it's not so little, my hometown more so than when I was um, going through high school and growing up. Um, I think that's kind of a natural thing people tend to do. For sure. For sure. Um, but it was a good mix. It was um, some farmland, some neighborhoods, you know, a nice little downtown. And then you hop in the car and drive 20, 25 minutes and you're in the city. So um, really, I had all I could ask for. Um, I had great friends, great family. Um, and I still enjoy going back. I was just quarantined there for quite a few months after Maryville decided to cancel classes last semester. So um, it was a nice little unexpected vacation, and I loved going back. No shit. You were quarantined there? I didn't realize that you didn't just keep working in the, the nursing program. We'll touch on that, too. But I didn't realize you had ever gone back to Indiana during all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so Maryville called classes right, or during spring break, actually. And I was down in Florida during spring break, which, in retrospect, probably wasn't a good idea. But, you know, it was so new. The corona was so new back then that you know, we booked it and went, um, and then they canceled classes as it was getting more serious just within that week. And, you know, I, I went back home and I made maybe a trip or two back to St. Louis to get some clothes and other things. And I spent uh, two months two two and a half months in Indianapolis. So, um, it was good to be back, had some friends back and it was good just to be with the family for that um, amount of time. Hmm. Hmm. As you move out of Indiana, which obviously you were just outside of a, I'm not going to call it a huge market, but Indianapolis is big enough that it's got multiple sports teams. I mean, it's much bigger than anything in Iowa. And you move down to St. Louis. What was the biggest difference between Indiana and St. Louis? Um, honestly, they were very similar. Um, I'd say that the area I grew up in was pretty similar to the area that Maryville is in, town and country, um, both suburban both pretty similar distances to downtown too actually um i guess the big difference that i've noticed so far being here in the summer this is my first summer in st louis usually i go back home um is the humidity and the heat it's only a four-hour drive from indianapolis to st louis but um the humidity is so different and the heat is so different than anything i'm used to it's you know it's humid every day here uh, practically in the summer I guess Indiana's more of a dry heat. Never thought I'd say that, but it's yeah. it's noticeably different, and it's it's been brutal so far. Hmm. When you come in as a freshman, what is your first uh, real kind of um, what do you take in about coming into Maryville first, just as a school, mm-hmm. and then your first couple days as a part of our team? So the first thing I really take in going to school at Maryville is, um, you know, I better make some friends because I knew one person that she actually went to my high school as well. She got recruited to play softball. So I kind of knew her and we weren't even like really good friends in high school. Um, So the first thing I noticed about the school and the atmosphere is like, wow, I better really like get out of my shell here and make some friends because, you know, it's going to be a long four years if I'm kind of just my normal self. So that was the first thing I noticed. And academically, I came in undecided. Um, so I really had no pathway there either. So I was kind of just in, <laughs> just in the thick of it, um, going to random classes, seeing what I liked and whatnot. Um, 
I knew I wanted to do something sciencey, you know, healthcare related, but I wasn't sure exactly what, whether that be like pre-physician's assistant or nursing or, um, you know, microbiology or anything like that. Um, so I eventually settled on nursing, but that took me a few years to get into the program. So the first two years um, that I knew Zach, I was in really just random classes, kind of just still feeling it out and trying to get my grades up to get into the nursing program. And the second part of that question, what I noticed first about the baseball team was, wow, this is nothing like high school, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The very first night I was in my dorm with my roommate, Austin Tapella, and some guys come over. They're like, they DM me on group me. And I don't even know any of these guys. I think it was Julian, uh, cat ruck, maybe. I think it's those, but, um, it's so long ago. Um, they come over, um, pour us some shots just in our dorm. It was literally the first night, you know, we're trying to move everything in. Um, and they pour us shots and start talking to us and take us down to the field and give us a little tour. So I guess, um, that was the first thing I noticed is like, wow, this is going to be very different. But I mean, all those guys are very nice, very good teammates. So um, I did notice that right away too, but obviously they care about the freshmen. Obviously they're giving us a little shit for being freshmen, sure. but at the same time they're introducing themselves or being nice, but you know, pouring us shots, giving us drinks, you know, having warm a good welcome. time. Yeah. Warm, warm welcome. welcome. Exactly. At what point did you realize that not everybody was that nice and there are actually a quite a few douchebags? <laughs> Um, you know, with any team, there's going to be people you don't really agree with, but it probably took me a few practices in to be like, okay, maybe these are the people, you know, mentally start scoping it out. Like, who do I want to stick by? Who do I not want to stick by? Um, and as a freshman, it's kind of easy. You just fall in with all the freshmen, but this, um, the upperclassmen, my freshman year were good about kind of, um, not allowing the freshmen to do that just because, you know, they're freshmen. So we're going to pick on them and separate them up a little bit and really get to know them. So it, I'd say it took me a few practices to really kind of start really getting to know people better. As a baseball player, was there any like, um, welcome to freshman year moment? It could be in the fall. It could have been in the spring. Anything well, that stands out where you're like, fuck. Yeah. Um, so this was, Early on in the season, maybe about halfway, uh, maybe a little bit earlier than that, um, we were playing at Southwest Baptist, and I was throwing as a freshman, which not too many freshmen threw um, in my class. So it was kind of an honor to be throwing and getting some playing time. But um, this kind of goes back to Seth, and I'm sure we'll touch on him more later because, you know, you got to touch on Seth a little bit. But so I was throwing in this game. I don't remember the score. I don't remember the inning. Um but I was throwing and there's two outs and I threw a good pitch and he kind of capped it and it went just in front of home plate. And, you know, being me, um, I thought it was going to go foul. So I didn't really hustle, you know, pitchers. They're not really athletes. Um, so I kind of just watched it. I don't know really why in <laughs> retrospect, but, you know, I just wasn't feeling that one for whatever reason. So I watched it kind of just dribble around home plate, had some weird spin, had some curve, you know. Um, the batter hit it off the end of the bat and it ended up going fair, obviously, or I wouldn't be telling this story. And from the dugout, our head coach, Seth Von Buren yelled, quote, Pinegar, your ass is mine. Screamed it. <laughs> Absolutely screamed it. 
And Seth had a temper, which other people have touched on. And when he yelled, um, he made sure you you heard it. So he screamed, Pinegar, your ass is mine, while I was still in the inning with, you know, one or two or three runners on. Um, so after I eventually got out of the inning, I think I got out of it pretty quick after that because I was mortified. You know, just a little freshman on the mound. Um, didn't hustle after a ball I should have hustled after. He took me behind the dugout and got about two or three inches away from my face and chewed into me, just cussing me out, telling me that's bullshit, telling me we don't do that in this league, you know, the classic Seth. Um, But at the same time, he was praising me. He went on and off of yelling at me and praising me. He said, you know, that's bullshit. We don't do that. Screaming at me still. And at this point, I look over at the bullpen, which was behind the dugout, and they were all staring at me and laughing their asses off in the bullpen. So he was he was in my ass behind the dugout, screaming at me and praising me. He would scream at me, and then he'd get even closer, practically like kissing me, and say, you know, but you're doing a really good job. You know, keep it up. We like this out of you. But then he'd step back and scream at me some more. And as a freshman, or I guess as any any year in school, you don't know what to make of this. Like, obviously, <laughs> I should have hustled after the ball more, but, like, it was just – it was mind-blowing. And I guess that was really my introduction to freshman year with Seth. I mean, there's really nothing more to be said because everybody else goes into it, and it just each story you're like – and that's a wrinkle, and that's a wrinkle, <laughs> yeah. and that's a wrinkle. Like, this guy is literally a psychopath. Is there any, you know, memory you have from your freshman year as far as a teammate? Like, we, I know in Julian's podcast, we went into the story of you slamming the cup on your knee and, and calling you the young son and telling you to sit in the corner. Or any, you know, teammate stories that either you were just like, again, wow, this isn't, this isn't high school anymore. I play with fucking weirdos or just like in a great way it could be you can take it however you want but there is right, there had yeah. to be a story from your freshman year where you're like damn this is this is different good or bad um you know there was good and there was bad um as one of the only freshmen that traveled um i was definitely the one to do all the grunt work um you know I kind of knew my place as a freshman. I was to do pretty much what was expected of me. So whether that be slap a um, a cup on my knee like Byung Sung, or whether that be slather up Julian's arm with um, essential oils before he goes in and throws, um, I just did it because you know there's you just gotta have to do it. There's no way out. You know you're in the bullpen with these guys. I guess I could have said no, but that's not really my personality. I guess. Um, so I did it and, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't really mind it. It was kind of just more funny to me than like degrading, but that was kind of a wake up call again, just because like, you know, this never happens in high school, even the seniors in high school to the freshmen, if they play together, you know, there's some more respect just because, you know, it's high school still, you're still 17, um, whatever. But these college kids, um, they expect more out of the freshmen, and I found that out pretty quick. Was uh, would you mind going into your account of the having to rub oils on Julian's arm? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, Julian tells it as if it's just normal. Like, obviously, he knows that it's funny, but I don't think he right. gives it from the best perspective. Well, 
the thing was, I thought it was normal. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe what went through my mind was maybe he had a freshman do this last year. Like, I don't know. Um, so he calls me down. This is the first game of the season. My very first game in general, my first collegiate game. Um, he's getting warm in the bullpen. He knows he's going to pitch in an inning or two. And we all knew he had arm troubles. Um, that was pretty obvious just from talking to him or watching him throw. Um, so, you know, I was just chilling and enjoying my first collegiate baseball game. And he says, Pinegar, come over here in his deep Julian voice. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's see what's up. And he goes into his, <laughs> he's sitting on the bench behind the, in, behind the bumps in the bullpen, pulls out like a handful of these little vials. And I'm like, what the hell's that? And he starts like lathering his hands up and he tries to get his shoulder. He doesn't, he doesn't get it. Cause he's like a grizzly bear. Basically he can't really reach all the spots and he has a torn labrum, I think at the time. So he was, mm-hmm. he wasn't very mobile. So he starts dousing my hands in the oils, dousing his shoulder in the oils. And he starts, he says like, start rubbing or something. I'm like, all right, you know, whatever, whatever to make the game go by faster. So, so I started giving him a little massage and rubbing up his arm with the oils, but he gave up a walk off that game. So maybe I didn't do my job. Well, I think you let him down. You let yeah. him down. At what I point, felt like it as a freshman, yeah. What point do you think that you looked back on it finally and were like, God, that was fucking weird? Like, how long do you think after that actually happened were you like, why the fuck would I do that? Um, it took me a while. Um, I quit playing after my sophomore year, and, you know, in the time since then, it's been a year. Um, I've kind of just thought back to our – the crazy baseball ride, the collegiate baseball ride that I've been on just from a coaching and teammate standpoint, because it was something else. Um, and I was like, yeah, that was maybe a little weird. Maybe I shouldn't have rubbed a senior's arm with essential oils down in the bullpen. But at the same time, um, I think by that point, I've kind of, I kind of attached myself to Julian almost as like a role model teammate. So of course I'm as a, one of the only freshmen traveling, I think it was me and Arcente that weekend that traveled. Um, I felt like it was kind of my obligation. So, but it was weird. I mean, I understand that now, but I just so thought it was play, more fun. We play our uh, my junior year, your sophomore year, so the the 2017 season. Um, our coach does not get brought back for other reasons. Um, does not return to the team. We go on. We play for Brian, the head, who was the assistant coach. Our uh, first year at campus, who signs on a pitching coach by the name of Travis Griffin. Yep. You and, you and Travis did, never really saw too much eye to eye. Not that he's a bad guy, per se. Just yeah. completely differing opinions on almost everything, including the Bible. Can you account for the day on the bus <laughs> he told you you were going to hell? Well, yeah, there's a few different stories uh scenarios where that happened um he actually called me a quote satanic retard end quote (laughs) so i don't know how early on that was but um coming from your pitching coach you know the guy that gives you innings i knew i was kind of in for a long season um but so we're going somewhere i think it was one of the far away bus trips you know three or four hours on the bus 
And I still sat at the very front of the bus. Um, I think we had a big upperclassman class that year. So all the good spots in the back, you know, by everyone was taken. So I was sitting up there with some underclassmen. And I hear Travis lean over. It was really early on, actually. I think it was one of the first few weekends of the year because um, it was still cold out, you know, snow, whatever, you know, lovely Missouri weather um, right around March and February. Um, and I, 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 I was just zoned out, you know, trying to pass the bus ride, trying to get this weekend over with just like pretty much every other weekend um, I traveled. Um <laughs> And I hear Travis lean over to Griffin, or I hear Travis lean over to Brian and say, yeah, did you hear that Boston's going to get hit with another two or three feet of snow? And Brian's like, yeah, that's crazy or whatever. Didn't really give like a wholehearted response. And then Travis goes, that must be God's way of telling those people to slow down, like their lifestyle, I guess. He just said, slow down. Um, And I, I just... I was like, I, and I, and I'm sitting directly behind, I think I'm directly <laughs> behind Brian and Travis is across from Brian. So he's kind of parallel to me, diagonal to me. And, um, I, I couldn't help it. I stuck my little face like through the little plastic bus seats. And I said, I don't think that's it. And they both just slowly turned and stared at me. And I felt so out of place. And I don't know why I spoke out. Cause that wasn't like who I was, especially as a sophomore, um, especially to Travis, because he was kind of intimidating. Um, yeah, I just, I had to disagree with him on that. Um, personally, if you think that's his way of God's way of telling those people to slow down, I mean, be my guest. But to me, it's just snow. I mean, obviously, Boston gets a lot of snow. Um, so I voiced my opinion, and it probably cost me some innings um, during the year. Was there any sort of follow up? Or just the turn? No, they literally turned and stared at me. <laughs> they didn't say a word. And I'm sure before that, you know, during the fall and everything, Travis and I got some disagreements and he would question me and whatever. Um, so they both kind of knew that I wasn't I wasn't a total God freak like Travis was and maybe Brian was. I'm not sure. Um, so there was it wasn't just like random. They they had a pretty good inclination sure this wasn't the first time that this yeah. came up interesting i think it's hilarious that all of your interactions with each of our coaches are just i mean there was probably a reason that you decided to quit after your sophomore year and i would i would guess that they all played a role or, or the disconnect between you and them yeah um that's true that was part of it but the other part that i i actually quit after their newest coach and current head coach oh uh, sure evers was assigned um i knew travis would be sticking around you know whatever we were getting along a little better um but i most i mean that did have something to do with it but i mostly just quit because i wanted to focus on school and i just wasn't really loving the sport anymore like i used to yeah fair enough so we talked through a few of the cast of characters that we you know we played with and and you're always going to have kind of your run of the bunch um oddball mix of teammates some of these are you know the drinking crowd some of them are the smoking crowd some of them are you know uh the, the lifters you know you got your your huge jacked guys um you know like i i think of like uh dalton or 
Gary both were, you know, heavily involved in PT and, and really watched what they ate in, in terms of, you know, proteins uh, and, and carbs and, and really yeah. just watching what went in their body. Definitely. And then putting in the same efforts in the weight room. And there's mm-hmm. the other side of that. And there's the people that did not have any sort of dietary restrictions. One of these happens to come in the form of a great story of your roommate who you've already quoted. And I would, I would bother you to, to go into this because I think it is one of the funnier stories of not all college athletes are really watching everything that they eat. Maybe it's just a baseball thing. Probably other sports, you, you can be a little bit whatever. But baseball, not so much. Yeah, um, I think with any level of college athlete, you're going to have, especially on a bigger team, baseball carries like 40 guys. You're going to have a ton of different people, like you said. Um, but my roommate, Austin Tapella, um, love the guy to death. He's been my roommate since freshman year. You know, we kind of, we came in not knowing each other at all. Obviously, he's he's a local kid and I'm from Indianapolis. Um, and we still live together to this day. This will be the fifth year, so. Um, obviously a really good guy, one of my best friends, um, at Maryville and in, and in general, um, we had a, I think we had to get to the field at something ridiculous, like, you know, seven or eight o'clock in the morning, um, this day, um, I'm downstairs, you know, making a cup of coffee, whatever, making some egg, you know, making breakfast. <laughs> um, and Austin comes down and I see him just preheat the oven and I'm like, oh, that's kind of odd. Um. I wonder what he's doing. So I kind of just let it play out, drink another cup of coffee. Um, and then next thing I know, I hear things hitting like an oven sheet. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So I kind of just turn and look. And he's putting dino nuggets into the oven at probably like 7 a.m. Um, I'm like, hey, you do you, man. You know, um, there's worse food. There's worse breakfast food out there, honestly. Um, he pops those in the oven, gives them, you know, 15 minutes, whatever takes him out um pour some ketchup i believe that's his go-to um starts munching on some dino nuggets i'm like wow i've never seen this before just personally um cracks open a coca-cola i'm like damn this guy's ready to fucking go i love that um and that was his breakfast that day um like i said like you said there's multiple people from different parts of life that play the game and some people take into account everything and hit the weights hard and eat right, completely track everything that goes into their body. And other people just don't do that. And he happens just not to do it. That's all right. I can't say that uh, it's what I would go through, but uh, it does make for a good story. And I can't remember the results on the field that day, but, uh, um, you know, fuel your body. You are what you eat, you say. Mm-hmm. There's worse you, breakfast uh, foods, I guess. You work in a different uh, field of health. You kind of referenced it talking about school earlier, and, and, and maybe you don't prescribe chicken dinos and Coke to your patients, but you do work in the nursing world. Um, what has that been like? I mean, you, you decided kind of late in the school, and then obviously now you're fully into it. You're working every day almost in a hospital. What, what's, what's the nurse life like? So the nurse life from an academic standpoint, it's, it's some hard work. It's one of the more like notorious, quote unquote, um, majors offer at Maryville. It's something they're kind of well known for. They have really good facilities, really good labs, really good instructors. Um, so yeah, I transferred in, which was kind of unheard of. I think only three or four people transferred in with me because it's a freshman in that program. So people know out of high school that they're going to go do nursing at Maryville. 
Um, I did not know. So I battled to get a transfer spot and I eventually got it. Um, went through a year to a school and now I'm working in the ER at um, St. Luke's hospital, just right across the street from Maryville. And I love it. Um, I love the variety of the ER. I love the fast pace. Um, it's just all around a really good opportunity. What's uh, what's the COVID outlook from an ER nurse? Well, currently we we're seeing more and more patients diagnosed with it. Um, we do, if they come, if a patient comes to the ER and we send them up to a normal um, hospital floor for like, you know, if they get admitted, they will get a COVID swab. Um, and those, the swabs themselves, the nurses are skeptical of because there's rumors of a lot of false negatives or false. Yeah. False negatives. So they're really, they say they're negative when they should be positive. Um, I've heard that for weeks now in the ER at least. And I don't know if it's just a swab or the technique to take the swab, but um, it's definitely becoming more and more prevalent Um, in the ER. We have people who exasperate from COVID solely. So their only diagnosis is COVID and they come in and they, um, they can't breathe. Their respiratory, their respiratory rate is through the roof. Their heart rates through the roof. So, um, we have to intubate them, which is basically breathing for them on a ventilator. All the ventilator, all the ventilator talk you've been hearing of recently. Um, we obviously have a few ventilators in the ER and they get hooked up to that. They get a tube shoved pretty far down their throat into their lungs and it breathes for them and they're unconscious. So we've seen, we've seen people who are asymptomatic and we've seen people who need the intubation. Um, so it, it's all circumstantial on, you know, your personal health and, um, other factors that go into it, but we've seen a wide variety and, um, it's definitely there. Definitely there. So this isn't uh, some made-up random Chinese disease, is that correct? <laughs> no, it is um, definitely not made up. And depending on your health situations, your age and everything like that, you could spend a week or two in the ER with a tube shoved down your throat. So deal with that information as you will. Um, it's your life. But, you know, try not to infect other people, I guess. The false negative thing. I saw some today. Uh, I can't remember the baseball player who it was, but obviously with sports starting to come back, there's um, a lot of obviously testing that's going down and, and trying to figure out what's going to be kind of the precautions or rules around testing and your, your positive to negative. <clears throat> and I saw that there was a player who tested positive and then he tested negative. So mm-hmm. they were like, oh, he's, he's coming out of it. And then he retested positive. Does that indicate only a false negative for the no, or is there any chance that you can get it, not come back and get it? No. um, From my understanding is that you can test positive and then eventually your body will make antibodies and the anti that's a whole different test. So it kind of depends on the test. If you test positive with a swab up your nose, you can still be positive. Um, and then a few weeks later, test negative because you built antibodies. But you can always get your antibodies checked because those stay with you for life. So if um, they were doing a swab, could they go swab yes, swab no, swab yes? Yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, you can get you can catch it twice. Um, oh, 
from my understanding, that is that is um, very possible. Hmm. Or it could be a false negative. Um, it kind of depends on his symptoms. If he tested positive, maybe he was lucky enough to show no symptoms, or maybe he was showing symptoms and they tested him again. A few weeks later, he was negative, and then he caught it again because it's it's possible. Um, kind of just depends on the other circumstances. No shit, Mythbusters episode eleven patio cheers. Shit, I really thought there was no way to get it a second time. So yeah, what do you know? Um, all the people now don't take my advice <laughs> to the hospital and you know demand something based off this podcast. But that's my understanding <laughs> yeah. of it. I'm still in school, so just a disclaimer. Um, you uh, over the last couple of years, you were telling me you've you've gone to Haiti five times to work in either medical trips. I think most of them are medical based speak to your work in Haiti. We kind of just, I mean, it's gotta be eye opening because it's a third world country. They've dealt with, you know, natural disasters and obviously the just socioeconomics of it is completely different from what any of us would really know. You know, speak to your experience in Haiti. Definitely. Um, so in high school, I went every single year during spring break. Um, so once a year for four years and, it kind of just started off as something our, our, my high school offered it to a small group of people. My older brother and I, who was a senior in high school at the time, decided to do it his senior year and my freshman year. Um, so we went on it. He didn't really love it. I loved it, obviously, because I went back four more times. <clears throat> um, so that's kind of how it started. And I went again last summer, actually. So I took a few years off after my senior year of high school just because of baseball and everything. And I wasn't in high school anymore but they offered a summer trip last year and I was able to go back, which was really special. Um, but yes, it is, it's almost entirely a whole different world um, in Haiti. It's the, it's the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. Um, and it is, when you step off the plane, it's, it's like you entered a whole nother world almost. It's, it's astonishing. Um, the poverty level there is unbelievable. Um, kids are lucky if they're clothed, they, there's no way half of them get a meal a day. Um, so the poverty is extreme. The infrastructure is terrible because they haven't really rebuilt after the earthquake that I'm sure everyone heard of back in 2008, I believe. Um, so it's, it's, it's opening for sure. And it's been one of the best experiences of my life so far. What would be your call to people to to not necessarily fall in your footsteps like, oh, I, you know, I'm so much better or I've done this or I've done that. But if you were going to challenge people, why should they get behind it or what could people do to uh, potentially help or, you know, aid the, that area of the world that is so, I guess, just kind of depressed or, or unfortunate? Um, I would just say to check your local um resources um obviously haiti needs help um they need it more desperately than most places um uh, near america and haiti's only like 90 miles off of florida so it's really relatively close um but if you are if you want to get involved um you could contact me and i can set you up um, i'm still relatively involved not so much not as much as i'd like to be but um kind of just getting yourself out there and volunteering in any way would be beneficial, especially in this time, if you're fortunate enough to volunteer or 
donate or anything like that. There's obviously um, the United States is, is hurting right now as well. And there's plenty of ways to help in the United States or abroad if you um, would like to. Is it only, so obviously you come from the, like the medical side of things and maybe that's not even what you were doing in high school. Cause at that point you weren't educated in that, that, that area what kind of work can be provided? I mean, can anyone volunteer? Like, do they just need bodies? I guess, is it a, is it a strictly fiscal thing or economic? Um, um right. Um, there's both sides. Obviously, if you have a health degree and you feel the need to go down there and help, I'm sure there's organizations that would love to have you. Um, that's obviously asking a lot. Um, a part of it is economical too, because, you know, just the poverty level, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so really whatever your specialty is, you could probably use in a manner that would benefit um, Haiti or anywhere. If you're willing, if you want to start, um, you know, volunteering and donating things. Um, I worked in high school. We kind of just did manual labor, labor, you know, we built houses, we, um, fixed up the neighbor the neighborhoods the um everything around where we stayed and then last year when i went during the summer i was in nursing and i got to work in the clinic in the village and it was really amazing and i had so much fun it was the best nursing i've i think i've ever done damn just the sheer fun of it um the language barrier was a little tough but you know we had really good haitian doctors that were there to help and um, they made it doable. I just basically did vitals for them to get check in to see the Haitian doctor. So I didn't do like a whole lot, you know, they're just vitals. Um, but, and I um, worked in the pediatric clinic as well. So I got to see a lot of really cute babies um, and kind of just help out any way they need. And I think it was just incredible. Damn, that's awesome, man. I mean, obviously I'm sure the work was much appreciated, but it's kind of cool to hear and um, I'm proud of you, little guy, for Thanks. going to help. <laughs> uh, I touched on it again earlier, but you just the last kind of sum up of who Ben Pinegar is is you are a intellectually obviously the philanthropy you do with Haiti is cool, but also into reading and music and whatnot. How did I guess is there anything that really got you fixed on that? And and what are some of your kind of favorite reads? Give a couple shout outs to some books that maybe you would be eye-opening good reads for people do whatever you want with it but i think it's cool that you do have that literature side yet yeah so i think um i love to read i know i kind of stand alone in that especially around like the people my age everyone's like why do you like to read it's so boring whatever um but i i like it it's relaxing it's a good way to end the day you know kind of get your mind right in my opinion um some of my favorite books that's tough um I just finished The Devil in the White City. I won the Pulitzer. It's about the World's Fair in Chicago and the serial killer H.H. Holmes. They were kind of going on at the same time. Um, really interesting. It's about how they built the World's Fair in Chicago in the late 1800s. Kind of sounds boring, but I promise it's not. And it's a really good insight to like American history, um, architecture, if you're into that. And there's a little true crime in there with a real serial killer named H.H. Holmes, who some of you may know, some of you may not. Um, he murdered like 20 women during the time of the World's Fair in Chicago. Um, so it's it's both of those stories intertwined and it's fantastic. Um, 
one of my favorite authors is um, Steinbeck. It's just the epitome of Americana writing. Um, beautiful landscape, like descriptions, um, all take place out west in California and areas like that. You know, it's like the typical high school read, which people probably didn't read in high school because I didn't even enjoy <laughs> reading in high school. So um, he's one of my favorites. And also Malcolm Gladwell offers some really cool insight to really about anything. Um, probably the book I'd recommend the most is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. It's about mm. really successful people that. who are outliers and weirdos and um, just how they became who they are and all the circumstances that allowed them. Um, it's really, really, really a great book and it's so great. And I think everyone would benefit from reading it. Well, if you didn't, if you didn't get it from that, the, the book is great. Yeah, yeah. In case you didn't know, the book's really good. <laughs> yeah, just it's really great. It's really great. good description. No, it's great. It's great. <laughs> well, that kind of rounds out the body of the podcast. Um, that, if you don't know who Ben Pinegar is by now, I mean, shit, listen back. But um, I appreciate you <laughs> giving insights to what the hell's going on up top because he is a quiet kid right off the bat, but then you get to know him and he's got some shit to say. So uh, that was cool. We're gonna go into a less uh, less intellectual section, uh, intellectual section of the podcast called trivia beers. We've now done this for just over or just under half the podcast. Um, I think we have one person that went two and one, three that went one and two, and one that went zero oh and three. So you're up to the challenge of going three and zero oh to be the leader in the clubhouse. Can you Shoot. do it? Uh, let's see. Give me one. All right. So, Pinegar is a Reds fan. This first question comes as a, a, a Reds question. A um, little bit of a Reds fan. I'm not going to call him a diehard, but he, you know, if, if there's one team he affiliates with, it would be the Reds. Which of these former players has hit the most home runs as a Red? Okay. Not the, necessarily the uh, franchise leader, but of these four, who hit the most? Okay. Was it A, Ken Griffey Jr., B, Jay Bruce, C, Barry Larkin, or D, Pete Rose? Wow. I'm not getting all three right. I'm going to go A, Ken Griffey. Wrong. Drink up, pal. <laughs> Jay Bruce at 233. Jeez. Ken Griffey Jr. only had, uh, he had 210. Of those four, Pete Rose actually had the least amount, even though yeah. he's got the most hits. Yeah, he was more of a singles doubles guy. I knew that. Maybe I mean I would have thought maybe over the course of time, but that's true. Um, I mean he played a long time. Yeah. Uh question number two. The most purchased candy in the United States last year was a tie between Eminem and Reese's peanut butter cups. Which was the most purchased in Canada, according to a twenty twenty finding by statistics? <laughs> it was not Eminem's or Reese's peanut butter cups. But was it A, Trident Gum, B, Sour Patch Kids, C, Kit Kats, or D, Skittles? Since when is gum a candy? I will say, I will give you a clue here. It's not no. A, but okay. Trident Gum is, it, it was the leading candy for Mexico. No way. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Mexico likes so you Trident. Got, you're down to three. You're down All to three. Right. And just remember, you do have to drink if you get it wrong. I know. Um, I think the Canadians like Sour Patch Kids. 
Wrong. It is kicked. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> These questions are just fucked up. But um, I made this next question thinking that for some reason you were part of our our movie gang, and it turns out you're you're a little bit of a movie guy, more of a music, and then even more of a reading. Which I knew the reading part, but and the music. Just thought you were also into movies. But of these four movies, which won the most awards at the 2019 Oscars? Okay. Was it A, Parasite, B, The Joker, C, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or D, 1917? Um, wish I could reach out to Sam Danker on this one, but yeah, I actually <laughs> think I know this one. Is it Parasite? It is Parasite. Good job. That's big time. On the board. Wow, thank you. I'm drinking a summer shandy, by the way. I don't know if I detailed that at the beginning of the podcast, but um, good job. Good job. Nice. I don't even know if I've seen that movie. I'm going to have to reach out to Dank for kind of a head. I don't think I've seen it either, but I heard that it did really well. So, yeah, four awards. Four awards. The other, uh, uh, I think, Once Upon a Holly, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was three, and then the uh, the Joker in 1917, another movie I haven't seen. Um, but I've heard great things about got two, and that brings us to the last leg of the podcast, and that's our uh, fan favorite of a rapid fire segment. All righty, let's do it. Let's round this thing out. What would be your last meal? I've asked this question. I am now interested because this is like your this is your you know your prison meal. You know you're gonna yeah. death row. I've detailed Julian's. His was dog. I mean, <laughs> yeah, his was on. Danker went with the classic, just, you know, Midwest pork chop, mashed potatoes, and I think corn cob or something. <laughs> what does Ben Pinegar have to say to the last meal? That's a really tough question, but right off the bat, the first thing that comes to my mind is some, like, some really good pulled pork. Okay. That's some, your entree. Yeah, that's my entree. Some really good pulled pork with, like, a few different varieties of barbecue sauce because, you know, you like to mix it up every once in a while. Sure. Um, some homemade mac and cheese. Absolutely. I'm going the Southern Wait. route. Okay. Homemade mac and Julian's cheese. Mom? <laughs> yes, it can be made by Julian's mom. I'm sure she makes great mac and cheese. Um, okay. What would I have? I'm drinking a Diet Coke. Okay. You can have more Absolutely. You can, you can okay. pack on and have dessert. You're not getting full. Right, right, right. So those two so far, and a Diet Coke. Um, I would love some coleslaw and like five or six homemade biscuits. Whoa. I'm going full Southern. Are you like a honey biscuit? Like, you, do you want like brown sugar on it? You do anything like that? Like a honey butter, you know? I do want yeah. some butter. You got to have butter. You have butter on your biscuits. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this question is... I'm you detailed for me before the podcast, man, I'm using the word detail a lot. You told me before the podcast who the answer was. And I was befounded by this. I did not expect this. I thought it was pretty obvious, but (laughs) who was your douchiest teammate? So drum roll, please for the douchiest teammate. Derek Renner. (laughs) Derek, man, you're a douche. He's uh he's listening about half the podcast. I'm yeah, sure. he turned that shit off minutes ago, so we're fine. Derek Renner, <laughs> douchiest teammate I've ever had. 
Wow, just tripling down on it. <laughs> Favorite teammate over the years. That's a tough one. There's a real there's a lot of good teammates I've come to appreciate um over the two years I played. Um I think overall three years. Stop saying you played two years. You played three years. You played for Seth, you played for Brian, you played for Pat Evers. I didn't play for Pat. I quit. You just told us. No, I quit when Pat was first, like, in the oh, fall, like, early. Okay. But he was right. a coach. Like, Brian was okay. out already. All right, all right. Sorry, Sorry for the confusion. Me. I played two years. Um, I think overall, just the most, the person that was probably the best leader and um, set a really good example and one of the most easy people to talk to, and my personal favorite, Sam Danker. Wow. He's, he is a catch. Yeah. He's a good dude. Really, You can dude. talk to Fine him about catch. anything. Yeah. 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 He Nothing's off the fun. table. One of Another one of Sam Danker's favorite things, bands. He's a big music guy. Yep. What are your top three favorite bands? Um, in no particular order, I'm going to go Radiohead, Nirvana, and the Lumineers. Ooh, big Lumineers guy, too. They're Love the Lumineers, yep. I haven't seen Nirvana, but... Um, what's your craziest nursing story? All right, this one's going to get a little graphic. Um, as a nurse, you know, you see some things. And I was actually shadowing in Mercy's ER, so just off 270 um, for you St. Louis people. Um, and this elderly man comes in presenting with a urinary tract infection. Um, he had a bad catheter going in. Um, he was incontinent, so he needed a catheter. So me and another nurse start doing like our assessments or whatever. And we get down to his junk um, because that's what he's in for. That's just where you got to go. Um, we take a look. It's bad. Like it's bad. It smells putrid. It's bad. Um, we take the old catheter out that's infected. And before we could put a new one in, he starts coughing. And these are like deep chest coughs. And with every cough, some blood ejaculated from his penis and shot off the stretcher. Like the force of his cough made, and there was blood because he had such a bad urinary tract infection. And with every cough, it just spurted out in the rhythm of his cough. And I will never forget that. It was by far the grossest thing I've ever seen. That's horrendous. Yep. If you were the president tomorrow, what's the first policy you're putting into action? Ooh, I think I would, I'd follow crazy Bernie on this one. Don't get mad at me, but I would get rid of all marijuana charges and federally legalize marijuana. And you're not even a pot guy. No, <laughs> I think there's way more dangerous legal things and people shouldn't be behind bars for five years for selling weed when you can go, you go. to Illinois and buy weed. You got get on the same page. States need to get on the last, same village. Last question. Three people on the podcast. This is the, uh, this is the finale. Three people on the back patio with you, drinking whatever. You can smoke it. You can do the shrooms. You can do the uh, old ayahuasca. Um, <laughs> you're sitting out there just chatting away the night. Have like you know, you're doing your thing with these three people that are alive. Go. All right. I would choose... Mark Twain, another one of my favorite authors. Um, one of my personal favorites. Um, I thought he had really good insight, especially for the time he was living in. 
um, wrote obviously some fantastic books. Um, I would choose Mark Twain, Charles Darwin, and Abraham Lincoln. Damn. Some really just weirdos coming at you. People. Yeah. Just to pick their brains. I mean, obviously Abraham Lincoln, self-explanatory. Um, I put Darwin up there because he, people are like, what the hell's wrong with this kid? But um, just from like my field of study and everything that I've been learning about, you know, for years now, it's just, he fundamentally changed the way we perceive the natural world just with um, his theory. And so far it's still the theory. There's not a better one out there. So Darwin lives on and for the foreseeable future, looks like he'll stay. He's a personal hero of mine. I gotta ask. I gotta ask one more question because I actually heard this the other day from a rep in the uh, the hills of of uh, Georgia. Okay. Well, what do you think Charles Darwin's opinion on uh, COVID would be, and then the process of natural selection? Um, I think he would be. I think for the virus itself, he would be like, "Wow, that virus does a good job of adapting and." going to a new host and infecting, you know, what a virus is supposed to do. Um, that's what it's, you know, that's how it was created. That's how it does its thing. You know, it, it does everything right. So I think he would be in awe partially of the virus just because, you know, it's such a good example of what, you know, nature is all about. Um, I think it would also probably be a little, a little ashamed in all of us, especially here in the United States about, you know, we have the technology to not get the virus that probably Darwin didn't have. Um, so we're kind of just, you know, not taking it seriously when maybe we should be. Fair enough. Fair enough. Ben Pinegard, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Thanks for the insights and uh, detailing some of the funniest shit, even some, you know, roasting yourself and then uh, uh, some of the nasty shit. It's been uh, fun having you on. I'm glad we were able to actually make this happen. It's been uh little work in progress to get you on here we go i appreciate it thank you (laughs) you got it goofball cheers